You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Stonegate, how are we doing? Good deal. So it would be helpful to have your Bible out and open on your lap to Numbers 13 and 14. And as you're doing that... If you are a first-time guest today, thank you so much for being here. If you'll make sure you grab this card that's under your seat. Um, during the service, there will be a red and a black side of that. If, during the service, you'll fill out the black portion of that card. At the end of the service, you can put that card filled out in the little offering basket we pass around. Um, that would be the one thing we'd love to have back from you, and it would so help us serve you if you would do that for us. So if you'll do that, that would be great. And if you are a first-time guest, you are here on a really unique Sunday. It's a really great Sunday. It's one of those defining sort of days in the life of our church. And you're going to get to witness that. It is uh, what we're just calling a, a commitment Sunday or a recommitment Sunday. It's the Sunday where everyone in our church family, all the, those who you know, call this church family home, are uh, figuring out and determining what is that one number that would get them to the point of faith, where they're embracing risk, w- w- that one number that would get them to the place of glad-hearted, sacrificial generosity over the second and or last year. It's the second last year of a season that we're in the middle of called All In. So you're going to get a chance to witness that today as that that goes down here um, at Stonegate. So thanks for being here. Okay, so let me just reset the context on where we've been and where we currently are. So we spent the last four weeks talking about risk. That's been the, the sermon series that we're in the middle of and that is culminating today. And really the, the whole point of this set of sermons has been to get us thinking about what does it mean for us to walk by faith? What does it look like in your life to walk by faith? What does it look like in my life to, uh, you know, to walk by faith? And so, and that really just fits right into the season of All In that we're in the middle of. The, the primary goal of this two-year season called All In, it's a generosity initiative, that the primary goal of that generosity initiative is that 100% of those who call Stonegate home would go on that journey with Jesus learning the answer to that question. What does it look like in my life, our family's life, to walk by faith? That's the primary agenda. What does it look like for us to venture all on God? The, the second, you know, secondary goal, the one behind that, and, and I want to state this clearly, the primary goal is walking by faith. The secondary goal, one of the goals that we're asking God to use, the secondary goal to accomplish the first one is a generosity goal. We're asking the Lord for $11.2 million during all in. And that $11.2 million goes to accomplish three very particular things. Cultivate ministry, plant the gospel, and put down roots. That's our facility that's going to be coming here in another 15 or 16 months. It's like right around the corner on uh, Highway 287 and Walnut Grove. So this is what we're in the middle of, what, you know, what it is that we're doing, what we're about. And let me just set the stage for today by saying this. What happens today in this room over the next hour and a half is vitally important to our church family. Not just for today, it's gonna send ripples into the next 20 and 30 and 40 years of gospel ministry for our church family. Like what happens right now today is setting the stage for all of that. So I just wanna pray for you that we would all be open to the Lord this morning. We would all have a posture with the Lord that is open and listening and receptive to Jesus. I wanna pray for you and then we're gonna jump in. Father, would you please help us today? God, wherever we are closed and defensive, putting walls up between us and you. Father, I pray that by your grace this morning, the power of your spirit, that you would be at work in our heart, tearing down those walls, cultivating a trust in us, opening up our hearts to what it is that you would have for us today. And so God, would you make our hearts into that soft, pliable, open to you today. It's by your grace that we ask that. Amen.
Okay, Numbers 13 and 14. Uh, This particular passage was massive for me personally when we first planted Stonegate. So going back seven and a half years ago, this this particular passage was so formative and and really just giving me the courage to plant a church. The Lord really used this passage for that. And so I wanna point out three things from this passage for you this morning in Numbers 13 and 14. And let's just start with context. Think about where the people of Israel are in Numbers 13 and 14. If you think all the way back to the beginning of Exodus, the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. And it is oppressive. It's a terrible place to be. God sends 10 plagues into Egypt to bring Egypt to her knees and to free you know, Israel from the, the enslaving grip of Egypt. And so the people of Israel walk out of Egypt, but then Pharaoh watches them walk out of Egypt and decides he doesn't like them walking out of Egypt. So he sends his army, the most powerful army on the face of the planet at the time, to track the people of Israel down, to catch them and to kill them. And, uh, and they find the people of Israel on the banks of the Red Sea. And so just picture this scene, you're Israel, your back is to the Red Sea, there's no place to run. The most powerful army in the world is in front of you. I mean, just think about the the dire sort of moment that that is. God intervenes, comes into that moment, and he parts the Red Sea. I mean, can you just imagine that day? He parts the Red Sea. The people of Israel walk through on dry land. Then here comes this powerful Egyptian army right behind them. The water caves in on them and swallows up the entire Egyptian army. I mean, just an, an incredible scene. But it's important to realize when you're thinking about the story of the people of Israel, in particular their exodus, that God, his his purpose for the people of Israel was not just to free them from the enslaving people of Egypt. That was one part of the plan, but that wasn't the whole plan. It was to free them from this enslaving sort of place, this this Egypt for them, to free them from that. But, But it was bigger than that. It was also to lead them to a land that the Bible describes as flowing with milk and honey a place for the people to flourish and become all that God would have them be. That was the purpose. Now, when you get to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, it's probably 12, 13, 14 months later, after the Red Sea moment, 13, 14 months later, God has his people to the edge of the land. Like they are right to the edge. They are looking across the valley and they can see the land flowing with milk and honey. That the land that God had prepared for them, it's right there for the taking. God has already told them, I'm gonna give you this land. This is your land. And that's where you pick it up in Numbers chapter 13. Look at the first two verses. It says this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man every one a chief among them. Now, one thing that this passage is doing is reaffirming really the main theme of this entire set of sermons. It's reaffirming this thing that we have said in a lot of different ways over the last four weeks. This passage is reaffirming that risk really is right. That that risk is right. Now think about the, the layout of this passage, the predicament of this passage. God has already come to them and said, I'm gonna give you the land. Then he comes back to Moses again and says, Moses, let me just remind, I'm giving the people of Israel this land. This This is your land. This is their land. I'm giving this to them. But God doesn't just give them this land. He goes about doing this in a particular way. He says, I want you to send some spies into that land first. So they send 12 spies in, uh, kind of the the chiefs of the people, the leaders of the people, they send those spies in. Now, what is God doing in that? I think God is intentionally wanting them to see, yes, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. They're going to observe that. This is everything God said the land would be. But God also wanted them to see that there's people in that land. And these people are big people. 
There's a lot of those big people in the land and they're living in these massive fortified cities. I mean, God's wanting them to see that too. So you've got this predicament. It's I'm giving you the land, but I want you to see what all's in this land. Big people in that land, people that could kill you are in that land. Now, what is God doing? Why is God doing it like that? I think the simple answer is, is that God isn't just concerned about giving the people of Israel the land. He wants them to have the land, but that's not the only thing he's concerned about. He's equally concerned about cultivating faith in the people of Israel. It's not just God saying, I'm gonna give the land and it's gonna require nothing of you. It's I'm gonna give you the land, but I'm gonna do it in a way that's gonna pull you into faith. That's gonna take you deeper into faith. He's doing it in a particular way. He's doing it in a way that builds and cultivates faith. And this is exactly what God is constantly doing with you and I. He's working in our life. He's doing things in our life and he's doing those things in such a way that it pulls more faith out of us, that it takes us deeper into faith. Now, how does God do that? How does God operate in a way of not just giving them the land, but giving it in a way that cultivates faith? How does God, how does God work in our life in such a way where faith is constantly being built? He, he cultivates that sort of faith through, through putting us in situations where we have to embrace risk. R risk is God's means of cultivating new faith in our life. He's putting them in a situation that's gonna make them step into faith. And they're gonna step into faith because they have to embrace risk moving into this land. And there's big people in the land, a lot of big people, fortified cities, all of that is there. He's, he's pulling them into faith by, by pulling them into risk. Now, I think it's important just that we continually see the tie between those two things. So one of the ways that we have done that over the last month is just defining faith in light of risk. Faith is the willingness to risk anything on God, to push your chips in with Jesus regardless of what happens. In the words of one pastor, I love how he says it, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. This is what faith in action feels like. It feels risky. It feels like, man, I don't know how it's gonna go if we do that. This is the way God cultivates faith in us. So part of what this passage is showing us is just the thing we've been trying to say for four weeks. Jesus really does want you to embrace risk. Jesus really does want you right now in your life to be living in such a way where you're embracing risk. Now, why does God want us to embrace risk? Because it's when we embrace risk that we're drawn deeper into the heart of God. When we embrace risk, we, we, we dive deeper into faith. That, that, you know, that dependence upon God begins to grow. That, that sense of leaning on the faithful promises of God is cultivated. Maybe you could think of it this way. The, the reason God wants us to risk is that it's only through risk that new things happen in the kingdom of God. I mean, think about this point in, in the people of Israel, this point in their lives. God is saying, I'm giving you the land. But the only way they are going to possess the land is if they embrace risk. Their possessing of the land will only happen if they're willing to, to embrace risk and push their chips in with Jesus. It's the only way it's going to happen. And the same is true in your life. Man, I, I want you to hear this. As your pastor, I want God to do great things in your life. I want God to do great things in my life. I want God to do great things in the life of our church, but that will only come if we embrace risk. Very little of significance happens apart from the people of God embracing risk. Jesus wants us to risk. Think about in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, Paul says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that, that you and I, we should walk in them. Now, just hear me. This passage is showing us that the only way we are ever going to walk in the millions of good works that God has planned for us is if we are willing to embrace risk. Risk really is right. Jesus wants you to take risk. So that begs the question, what risk right now are you embracing for Jesus' sake? I mean, think about your life right now. What risk are you embracing for Jesus' sake? Maybe that's sharing Jesus with a friend or coworker, neighbor. Maybe that's forgiving someone. Maybe that's pursuing orphan care. Maybe that's confessing sin and being vulnerable. Maybe that's new steps to reorder your marriage around Jesus. Maybe that's, if you're single, waiting for a godly spouse. Maybe that's opening up rooms in your home so that you can house people who are in need. Maybe that's uprooting your life and moving to an unreached people group. Uh, today is gonna be an opportunity for us to take a new step of generosity, but there's just a million options. There's as many options as there are lives in this room. But hear me, if we are not risking for Jesus' sake somewhere in our life, it means that we are not living by faith. I love how Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China in the 1800s says it. He says, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. So if we're gonna live by faith, it means we are embracing risk somewhere in a new venture for Jesus that we're, we're willing to embrace those risks, put it on the line for Jesus' sake. Where in your life is that happening? Where, where is it that you're embracing risk right now? So the first thing we see here is that risk is right. Here's the second thing we see. Not just that risk is right, but that risk really is war. Risk is right, yes, but living with risk, embracing faith, it is also war. Look at how the story goes. Look at verse 25 of Numbers 13 and read along with me here. Starting in verse 25, it says, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, these 12 spies, we came to the land to which you sent us and it really does flow with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. They, they've got this massive cluster of grapes. This is the fruit of the land. Then you get to verse 28. However, the people who dwell in the land, man, they are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. And then you've got Caleb. But Caleb in verse 30 quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Verse 31, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to, to, to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in, in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, uh, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. Now, when you read that passage, it is just like a flashing billboard. Welcome to the war of what it looks like to walk by faith. 
Yes, risk is right, but yes, risk is war. If we're going to live with an open posture toward God, a willingness to walk by faith, a willingness to embrace risk at every turn, it means war in our life. You see the two voices colliding here. On one side, you have the voice of the Spirit. Uh, It sounds ironically like Caleb's voice in this passage. So just imagine the scene. You're presented with a new venture. It's gonna be risky. You don't know how it's gonna turn out, right? You're presented with that new venture and the voice of the spirit begins to say, go for it. Push your chips in with Jesus. It sounds like Caleb's voice in verse 30. Let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able by God's grace, by the power of the spirit, we are well able to overcome it. But that's the voice of the spirit in our life. If you're a redeemed man or woman, saved by Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. When you're presented with a new venture, that voice is saying, yes to that, go and do it. But that's not the only voice we have, is it? We also have the voice of the flesh. Opposing the voice of the spirit is this voice, the voice of the flesh. Now the flesh is that old part of us, that part of us that even when we are redeemed by God, it remains in us. It's that part of us that's at war with God, that part of us that, that doesn't trust God. That, that, the flesh also has a voice. It's not just the spirit talking, it's also the flesh talking. And the flesh sounds like that play it safe voice. That voice that says, hey, you might wanna think twice before you push all your chips in with Jesus. It's that voice. And you see it in this passage. Look at verse 31. Here's what the, the voice of the flesh sounds like. We're not able to go up against these people. It's a new venture, new venture for Jesus. No, we're not able to go do that for they are stronger than we are. Verse 32, the, the land through which we have gone to spy out, it's a land that devours, it kills its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it, they're of great height, man. These people are too big. Verse 33, when we looked at those people and then we looked at us, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. That's the voice of the flesh. Now, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a chapter called A Slip of the Tongue. And listen to how he talks about the voice of the flesh in his life. And ask yourself, do I hear this voice in my life? Like, like, how loud is this voice? He, He describes it like this in his life. He says, there is a voice inside of me that urges caution. You have that voice inside of you? New venture for Jesus. You better be careful there. It urges caution. It tells me to be careful, to keep my head, not to go too far, not to burn my boats in my following of Jesus. I come into the presence of God, he says, I come into the presence of God with a great fear, lest anything should happen to me within his presence, which will prove too intolerably inconvenient when I have come out again into my ordinary life. He goes on to say, I don't wanna be carried away into any resolution, any commitment, which I shall afterwards regret. For I know I shall be feeling quite different after breakfast. Do you know that moment? You know God's asking you to do something and you're just so scared to push it in because you know in a minute from now, you're gonna be feeling so much different than you do right now. He goes on to say, I don't want anything to happen to me with, you know, when I'm before God's presence. I don't want anything to happen to me there at the altar, which will run up too big of a bill to pay then. That's the voice of the flesh. It's that competing voice, that, that play it safe voice. It's that voice that looks at us and says, you can like Jesus, even love Jesus. Just whatever you do, don't put yourself in a position where you actually have to depend on Jesus. 
Just don't do that, whatever you do. That's that play it safe voice. And those two voices are constantly at war within us. If, if right now you are living at the edge of your faith, you know what that war feels like. Um, for Laura and I, in this two-year season of All In, we are giving more than I ever thought we would ever be able to give over any two-year season of our life, ever. We're in that moment. And there is one moment where I'm like, that feels like the greatest thing we have ever done. And the next moment, it's like, we are ruining our life. What are we thinking right now? I mean, it's, it's that sort of back and forth. This is what the war feels like in all of us. This is what it feels like to walk by faith. It's that war of the flesh versus the spirit. Now think about the effects of that play it safe voice. That voice of the flesh is always urging caution, always urging for us to pull the reins in our pursuit of God, our, our pursuit of walking by faith. That play itself voice, here's the effect in most of our lives. Somewhere along the way, because of that play it safe, cautious voice, somewhere along the way, most of us adopt a way of living that says this, the purpose of my life is to arrive safely at death. This is what that play it safe voice does. It leads us into thinking like that, to believing like that, that the purpose of my life is just to die. And when I die, to have a few dollars left in the bank account. If I could just do that, then I'm okay. And to that, Jesus is using a passage like this and saying no to that. That is not the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life is not to die with a few dollars left in the bank account. That is not the reason God has you on the planet. The purpose of your life is to glorify God, to love and enjoy God, to find new ventures for Jesus' sake and to risk everything to go accomplish those things, to walk in the, the sort of works that God has planned before you ever existed for you to walk in. That's the purpose of your life, not to play it safe, not, not to die with a few dollars left in the bank account. I mean, I'll never forget the moment in seminary. I got to know this guy named Darren. And Darren is like, man, I love Darren. He's one part crazy. He's that guy. He's got a little bit of a crazy eye look to him. I mean, I, I love getting to know this guy. And uh, I'll never forget this one moment. We were meeting in the uh, cafeteria of the seminary that I was going to. And in the middle of the cafeteria, just in the middle of the meal, he looks at me and he says, Rodney, how do you want to die? And I'm like, dude, this is so heavy for a cafeteria-like moment. It's just so not that moment. He's like, how, how do you want to die? And he leans over and he says, do you want to die sucking applesauce through a straw in a nursing home one day? I'm just like, you have me right there. <laughs> no, I know I don't want to do that. But he said, do you want to die sucking applesauce through a straw in a nursing home one day? Or do you want to die on the front line with a new venture for Jesus? How do you want to go? And he just drops the mic, walks out of the cafeteria, and we just have that moment, right? But I'll just never forget that moment. Now, here's the thing. It's not wrong to die sucking applesauce through a straw at a nursing home. That's not wrong to do that. But it is sinful to die having lost your ambition for some new venture for Jesus. It's, wrong. it's sinful to die that way. I mean, do you remember Matthew 25? Matthew 25 is showing us that God entrusts us with talents, not so that we would maintain those talents, but so that we would multiply those talents. That's the reason that we're here, is so that we would multiply those talents for Jesus' sake. I mean, Matthew 25 is showing us that the reason we're here is so that we would have a chance now, right here in this time, to do something smart, creative, risky, some new venture for Jesus. That is why you're breathing. Your life is too valuable for something smaller than that. 
But this passage is showing us to live like that, to live at the edge of our faith, to live embracing risk. It is war to do that. Like we have to wake up with some sort of mentality that says, today I've got to put a stranglehold on that play it safe voice of the flesh. I, today that voice has to be beat down in my life. It requires us waking up living with that sort of intentionality and that sort of determination. It reminds me of this story of George Whitfield really early on in his life. He had this moment where he just held up his life to God. He said, God, I'm offering my soul as a blank to you, oh God, to write whatever you will on it. Now that's what it looks like to beat back that voice of the flesh. God, here's my life. It's blank. My future is blank. Whatever you want, that's what wins. That's what it looks like to engage in that war, to say yes to Jesus in that war. So we learn in this passage, risk is right. We learn that risk is war. And then the story goes on. And if you, you know, you just heard the story go and here's what happens. The people of Israel decide that they don't want to risk for Jesus sake. They're, they're out on that. And they actually look at their leaders and say, hey, you people who are asking us to risk right now, we're gonna get stones and we're gonna kill you and we're gonna find another leader who will take us back into Egypt. But can you just imagine that moment? And just think about how that is showing us something so deep about human nature. We would, we would love what we know, even if it's enslavement versus taking a step for Jesus into the unknown. I mean, it's just showing us something so deep about how we're wired in that play it safe voice that is so loud in our life. And so they decide they're gonna kill their leaders. Caleb stands up in the middle of that in and, 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 uh, Numbers 14, verse nine, and says to the people of Israel, this is rebellion against God. This is sin <laughs> toward God. Now think about that. Our unwillingness to risk for Jesus' sake is rebellion against God. God is so grieved by that in this passage. He's so provoked to anger that he actually puts on the table, I'm gonna kill every person among the people of, of Israel. I'm gonna kill them all. Then Moses, portraying Jesus' work for us in the future, stands between God's anger and the people and he intercedes for the people. And God pardons the people of Israel, but he still delivers these consequences. Look at it in Numbers 14, verse 28 and beyond. God says to Moses, say to the people of Israel, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness and, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring them in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years, and your children shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. 
I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. These men who brought up the bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Man, what a sobering passage, huh? What a sobering passage. This passage shows us that in the end, there are only two options. Here are the options. It's either risk or waste. It's the only two options. It's the only two options in your life. It's the only two options the people of Israel had. It's either risk or waste. And for the people of Israel, their unwillingness to risk translated into waste. Now just think about how the waste went in this passage. 10 of the 12 spies died that day. God sends a plague and they die. That's, that's all for them. 10 of the 12 spies die. All the adults 20 years and up forfeited their enjoyment of the promised land. Isn't that just so sad to think about? The, the, the land that God had prepared to give them. It's, it's right there. God was going to give them the land, but because they were unwilling to risk, they wandered around in the wilderness 40 years waiting for every risk-averse adult to die. God, isn't that a sad moment? Their kids also suffered because of this. Think about their kids. Every kid 19 and down spent those same 40 years in the desert, same 40 years in the wilderness. Now, now parents, isn't that a sobering thing to think of? That, that our willingness or our lack of willingness to risk is going to be passed down to our kids. The consequences of that, they're gonna, they're gonna feel that, they're gonna receive that. Isn't that a sobering thing to consider? So, so I, I think this just begs the question, what do we want the story of our church to be? Do we want the story of our church to be, God put this step of faith in front of us, this risky step, but we weren't willing to take it. Therefore, we walked around the wilderness for 40 years under the displeasure of God. Now, just hear me on this. How many churches right now are in the wilderness making circles because they just failed to take a risky step of faith? I mean, how many churches, is that their story right now? Stonegate, let, let this just sober us and like, let this just inform the way we're gonna, we're gonna position ourselves with God. The moment we say no to the next risky step of faith is the moment that we take our first step toward our church's death. I hear that. The, the first moment we say, God, we're just not willing to go there with you. The first moment we do that is the first moment we take our step, our first step toward this church's demise. Man, can we please postpone that forever? Can we please do that? Can we please not go that route? I mean, don't we want our church's story one day to look back over and just to be able to say, we as a collective church family took every step we knew to take for Jesus' sake. I mean, think about your life personally. What, what sort of story do you want for your life? See, if we're gonna be a church family who walks in this sort of, you know, of, of a way, by faith, embracing risk, if we're gonna be that as a church, it means that we individually have to embrace risk. It means that you individually have to embrace risk. I've got to embrace risk. I've got to get at the, at the leading edge of faith in my life and I've got to have the courage to stay there. I mean, don't we want that to be our story? Don't we wanna to get to the end of our life? 
and to be able to look back over it and to say, I took every single risk God asked me to take for Jesus' sake. God, here are the talents you entrusted, multiplied and returned to you for Jesus' sake. I mean, don't we want that to be our story? Don't we want it to go that way? This passage in the end shows us there's only two options. It's either risk or it's waste. Or in the words of one pastor, it's either risk or rust. That's the only two options you have or I have. I love how John Piper at the end of his book, Risk is Right, that we just finished up reading as a church family. He says it this way at the end of his book. At the end of every other road, secure and risk-free, at the end of every one of those roads that are secure and risk-free, we will put our face in our hands and one day say, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. But at the end of the road of risk, taken in reliance on the, upon the blood-bought promises of God, there will be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Don't we want that to be our story? Don't we want by God's grace to move in that way as a church family? So we are gonna now get the chance to respond to Jesus. Now let me set up the response by saying a couple of things. First of all, I want to clarify what we are shooting for in this particular moment. I wanna, I wanna clarify what the bullseye is in this moment. The bullseye comes in two, two parts. Part one, we want to be open to Jesus. That is the goal, that every single one of us that calls Stonegate home would be open to Jesus. Now, let me just clarify one more time what openness to Jesus looks like. Here is what being closed to Jesus looks like. Being closed to Jesus looks like us coming to God with the things that are negotiable in our life. But everything that we're really looking to for life, we're keeping that in the safety deposit box behind us under lock and key. So, so everything we're really looking to for life stays back here and we'll bring to you, God, what's negotiable. That's what it looks like to be closed. What it looks like to be open to God is we open up. It's really scary to do. We open up the safety deposit box. We bring out all the really valuable things in our life. We put those on the table before God. And now we say to God, whatever you want, God, I'm yours. This is what it looks like to be open. It looks like us coming to God, just like George Whitfield did and saying, God, I'm offering my soul as a blank to you, to you, oh God, to write on it, whatever you will. That's being open to God. And this is what we're shooting for, an openness to God and then obedience to God. That we would be a people who open ourselves up, God, whatever you want. It's scary, but God, I'm here. Whatever you want. And then we listen and whatever Jesus says, we obey. That's the goal. Nothing more, nothing less than that. We are open to Jesus and we're obedient to Jesus. So if you look under your seat now, there should be a commitment card there. I just want you to grab that card. Every seat should have one. So if this is your church family, I'd just love for you to grab that card. If this is not your church family, you're welcome to participate if you want, but there is no pressure on that. If you don't want to, that's perfectly fine too. But if this is your church family, we're all in this day together if this is your church family. So everyone grab that card. And let me just say a couple of things about what is gonna happen here. So first of all, it is massively important that we all feel this. What happens right now in this moment is crucial. It's crucial for you. For, for any of us who adopt the posture of, God, we're gonna hold out, we just can't do it. We're gonna hold out on God. For any of us who live that way, at the end of the day, we are going to be holding a wasted life. 
So this is massively important for you. There is something for you in this moment as you open yourself up to Jesus. But there's also something in this moment for the hundreds and thousands of people who are going to be rescued in the next 20 and 30 and 40 years of gospel ministry within this church family. Our generosity right now is gonna ripple into and make possible all of that in the future. So this is a massively important moment. Secondly, Uh, Let me clarify this. What you're about to write on the card is your total commitment over the last year of all in. And it's your total. It's not just above and beyond. It's the total of your generosity towards Stonegate for the last year of all in, for the second year of all in. So that's what you're going to be writing on that card. And this is something we're all going to be participating in. Even if you participated last year at this time, we're all in this moment right here together. Now, you might fall in one of a couple of places in light of this uh, card. The top portion is for those who you are fairly new to Stonegate, you didn't get to participate last year, maybe this is gonna be one of your first times to ever give generously, sacrificially. Maybe it's the first time for you to ever do that in your life. Maybe it's the first time for you to give sacrificially to a generosity initiative, or the first time for you to give sacrificially to, to this particular ministry, Stonegate Church. And so if that's you, the top of the card is for you. It's the section that says, I'm new to the all in journey. And it's going to give you an opportunity to think through and pray through what would my generosity look like over the next year of my life? What what would be that one number that would represent sacrificial and glad-hearted generosity? What would be that one number that, that if I give that, it's going to literally change me at the core level? Now, others in the room, the second, kind of the bottom half of the card is for you. So it's, I'm already on the all in journey. And then it has the next section down is my current commitment is blank. That's what you would have committed last year at this time as we started all in. So that's what would go in that blank. And then we're really going to fall in two sections. If you were with us last year and you made a commitment to all in, um, there's one of two places you might fall. For some, you took that risky step of faith last year at this time. You, you committed to a number that represented sacrificial and glad-hearted generosity. And it is, it is cut deep into your life over the last year. It's been hard for you. It is still sacrificial. And this is a moment for you to be affirmed by Jesus. This is a moment for you to be strengthened in your commitment, nourished in that commitment, encouraged in that commitment. It's a moment for that to happen for you. For others in the room though, you made a commitment to Jesus last year and you're realizing God just is nudging you and working in you and operating in you where you have come to realize the Lord wants another step of faith from you. You were, you were sacrificial last year at this time, but you're realizing it's no longer sacrificial. Maybe your income increased. Maybe your faith increased. Maybe your expenses decreased. But you're just to the point of knowing that the Lord is saying it's no longer sacrificial. That the Lord is wanting more for you. He's wanting to take you deeper into the life of faith. And so that last little blank would, would be there for you. And let me just clarify this. It is massively important that you put your name, address, phone number, all your contact information on that card. Okay, so here's what's gonna happen now. We're gonna give you three or four moments of silence to just open yourself up for the Lord, to just ask the Lord, what what is it that you would want? Now, there's some who came into the Lord and you know your number this morning. And this is gonna be a time for you to commit to that. For for others, you came in and the Lord is nudging you. This is gonna be a time for you to wrestle with the Lord on that. But we want to give you a few minutes of silence to just deal with the Lord, to to open up your life and just say, God, what is it that you would want? For some, that's going to be a four-digit number. For some, a five. For some, a six. Maybe even for some, a seven-digit number. But the point is saying, God, what is it that you would want for me over the next 12 months? What, What would that number be? 
we want to give you three or four minutes of silence just to deal with the Lord on that question. So here is my hope. This is what I'm praying for everyone in the room is that when you look down at your card and you see the number that you wrote down, that we would look at that number and it would scream to us, you are embracing risk. You have put yourself in a position to where you need God. That it would scream to us that, that you are embracing and saying yes to everything that God would want for you. That, that it would say to you, you have been obedient to the next risky step of faith that Jesus would have set before you. Praying that every one of us could look down and see and say that about what is on that card. Now, here is how we're gonna end this morning. We're gonna end with communion. And, uh, and let me just remind you of how communion works and what it's doing. Communion is for those who are in a relationship with Jesus. So that means that if you don't know Jesus yet, if you haven't been rescued and saved by Jesus, that this would be your next step with God. This would be the next step that Jesus would lay out in front of you is for you to hold up your life as a blank and say, God, I am yours to write what you will on it. Father, my life is completely yours. I'm trusting Jesus to rescue me. If that has never happened, we're gonna have a couple of people right over here at the prayer table. Kevin Hill, one of our elders would be there. Please go over and see Kevin. We would love to begin that journey with you today. So it's, it's for those in relationship with Jesus, but it's also for those who are in right relationship with Jesus. That means if there's anything you're withholding, if there's any area of your life that needs to be repented of, that you would do that sort of work with God before you would come up and take communion. So how it's gonna work is we've got four tables, uh, two up in the front, two in the back. And the, the place for your commitment card is the big basket right in the middle of the table. So you can come up, put your commitment card in that basket, and then you're welcome and free to take communion with us um, that will also be there on that table. So Father, we love you. And Father, we are just asking for you to take us to a deeper place of faith, new places of faith. God, that you would be cultivating and teaching us what does it mean to be willing to risk everything on Jesus? Father, and I pray that you would create a posture within this church family who would lean into that who would willingly embrace every one of those moments that you would lay before us. God, that the story of this church's life one day when we look back would be to say, Jesus, here's everything you've entrusted to us multiplied and returned to you forever. So, oh God, would you do that? And may this be one of those defining moments in our lives in particular. God, would you take us to that place? God, would you do that sort of work in us by the power of your spirit? And it's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.